The Bible reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. It's in two parts, the first part about the faith of the centurion, and the second part, Jesus raises a widow's son. Chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when a centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. In the second part, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Love to see you uh, this morning. To those on live stream, uh, nice to be with you as well. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Matt. I've been around Nawi for a long time, most in the evening service, uh, now one of the pastors here. And it's been a joy actually to go through this series together, following Jesus uh, to the ends of the earth. And I've spent most of my time you know, in sort of sermon preparation for that series. Um, but for this week, it was an actual real joy uh, to get face-to-face with Jesus. And there's some really wonderful things in this passage. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we'll dig into what God has for us as we look at his word. Our good and gracious God, uh, we do thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much for the records, uh, in this case, the life of the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for him, uh, the stories that we're now told, 
Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you bring this, these stories to life. We know what it means to follow the Lord Jesus uh, and to live with, for him as one of his disciples. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you can think of the situations where you're in need of help, particularly in need of help from someone else, something that you can't do for yourself, but you need someone else uh, to come and help you. I remember when I was working for uh, Lippmann, there was lots of times I needed help, but I was driving home once, uh, driving, just getting out of uh, the M5 peak hour traffic, uh, and my car just stopped in the middle of nowhere, just on the road, stopped straight out, uh, and all the cars had to stop around me, and I got out, and this very fine young gentleman came out, helped me in my desperate need. We pushed the car over to the side. I was uh, extremely thankful for his help. And uh, other times you might be thinking about your health, uh, you're, in, you're in need of seeing a doctor or something like that. Um, there's lots of times in our life where we need help, and we particularly need help from someone else. And in this, these stories that we have today, we see exactly that, uh, people that are in desperate need of help. And hopefully if you've been joining with us or you've been following in this series in Following Jesus... Uh, We've been seeing Jesus throughout the Gospel of Luke talking about the kingdom of God, talking about what it is like, and he's been demonstrating uh, what it involves. He's been calling disciples to himself. He has been speaking about this new society, and he's been doing a bunch of teaching. And we've been going through that teaching the last couple of weeks, and it's exactly after this teaching that we pick up this passage here. And these two stories are wonderful stories about who Jesus is and what the kingdom of, life, kingdom of God is like and about. So I hope you have your Bibles open with you. We are going to trek through this together. And as it says in verse 1, and as Ken read it for us, Jesus has entered Capernaum. Now Capernaum is a kind of prominent city in Galilee, and Jesus has been around there a fair bit. And he is well known. He's done miracles there. He's done teaching there. He's well known amongst the people. But the narrative, it takes a kind of surprising turn. Because Jesus, uh, he turns up, but now a centurion comes on the scene. Now, centurions are the military leaders. The military leaders of uh, the Romans. Uh, So they're certainly not Jewish. But more than being not Jewish, they're like oppressors of the Jews. And these centurions, they kind of represent the Romans, represent the oppression that that the Romans have on them, taxes, uh, maintaining the peace, these kind of things. Uh, And this person comes onto the scene. And we read verse 2, that he has a servant uh, who is highly valued, and he's about to die. Now the centurion has heard of Jesus, and he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, what's Jesus going to do here? Will he go? This is the Roman oppressor. These are the Gentiles. And this is actually the first time Jesus has interacted with a Gentile in the Gospel of Luke. Now, the servant is sick. Jesus has healed many people uh, so far. Uh, What's his reaction going to be? But before we pick up that, there's an actually really interesting thing about what the centurion, or what's happened to the centurion, is that he has heard of Jesus. 
Now, he hasn't met Jesus. He hasn't witnessed anything that Jesus has done personally. He's only heard about him. And the impact of having just heard about Jesus has radically changed the centurion's mind of him. Jesus is having a real tangible effect on the society. And it's going, it's going viral throughout the society. Like if, if they had Facebook and Twitter, it'd be going off. If you were like into newspapers, then it would be all throughout the newspapers, uh, that kind of thing. But the centurion has heard all about it. Uh, and it's caused him to have faith. Just hearing has caused him to have faith. And in many ways, that is just like us. We have just heard about Jesus. We've heard about him through his word and through other people talking about him. And I think this is a really wonderful encouragement for for those who have faith in Jesus and for those of us who are investigating who Jesus is. Hearing about him is uh, the means to which we can come to have faith. Now, Luke will subsequently flesh out in his book in Acts and then in other writers in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is also uh, 100% necessary in someone coming to faith. But it's through the the preaching, the hearing of Jesus uh, that people uh, come into faith. So the hearing of Jesus' stories are powerful and they bolster your faith. Now, the centurion has heard and he sent these Jews uh, to go to Jesus. And they have something quite interesting to say. They go to Jesus and they earnestly plead with him. They say, this man deserves you to have you do this. So this is talking about the centurion. Because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. They are pleading with Jesus. They're saying how good this centurion is. Uh, They're saying that Uh, We we know Jesus, he is not of us, he's not Jewish, but he deserves your time. He is worthy of your time, Jesus. He's worthy of your power. He's been kind to us. He's built our synagogues. He deserves our help. What they're saying is it is the works of the centurion which has made him worthy. That's their big draw card. He deserves it. Now, does this work for Jesus? Well, he goes. Uh, We're not told he's in motivations, but Jesus goes. In verse 6, it says he went, he goes uh, to the outsider. But on the way, Jesus is on the way to this centurion, uh, trekking along, and some new characters turn up. Some friends of the centurion this time. But this time, they don't talk about the centurion They just give the direct words of the centurion. uh, And they say this. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve for you to to come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. The centurion is having second thoughts. As the Lord travels to him, the centurion, he realizes his position before Jesus. The centurion, he might be like the ruler of the region, the big person establishing peace. But he recognizes that Jesus is greater than him. And he recognizes that he is unworthy. Twice did you notice, two times, he declared his unworthiness. I'm not worthy for me to go to you. 
and I don't even think you're worthy to come to me. He declares his unworthiness. And can you just see like the incredible humility of this man? He recognizes who Jesus is before him. The person who is most powerful, has, has it all in society. People think he's the greatest. He's actually incredibly humble when he comes before Jesus. It's like a little boy, if you were like a kid in school, and they make paper airplanes safe. They're making paper airplanes for their mates, and their mates are showering praise on this guy. But say that kid then, then goes up to the aeronautical technical engineer of Boeing. That person is going to feel a little more humble, right? Because they know the place that is who they are before. That is what is happening for this centurion. He recognizes the place who, uh, who is before him. And he becomes a beggar of grace. He knows he has to rely on the unmerited favor of Jesus. He knows he doesn't deserve it. And this humility, which is coupled with, uh, with faith, is incredible. The centurion affirms Jesus', um, Jesus authority and, and he gives this analogy even about himself. He says, For I myself am a man under authority when, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say, uh, I say do this, uh, and, and, he, and he does it. The centurion just says, just say the word. Jesus, just say the word, and it will be enough. Like we say lots of words. I say heaps of words to my kids. Sometimes that's not even enough the tenth time. But he knows, Jesus knows it's just, the centurion knows it's got to be one word from Jesus. The centurion may have power over people with his word, but Jesus has power even over sickness and death by his word. The centurion can bring disorder to society and bring, can bring order to a disordered society, but Jesus can bring order to the disorder of sickness and death. The centurion is outright declaring the, the authority of Jesus and also recognizes the power and the position of Jesus. And it's like this incredible declaration of faith. Jesus, in fact, he thinks his faith is, is so amazing. It says, verse 9, when he heard this, he was so amazed at him, he turned to the crowd and said, I tell you, I haven't found faith, like even greater faith than this in Israel. And then the man went home, he returned, and the servant was found well. The centurion's complete humble dependence and trust in Jesus. It is, a, it is a remarkable demonstration of faith. Jesus hasn't even witnessed that in Israel for someone who hasn't even heard, who has only heard. And what's the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that it's not about the worthiness of the work. It's not about what the Jews thought was going to get Jesus to come and heal this person. No. It's about the amazing faith of the centurion in Jesus. It is the faith that he has displayed which has seemed to cause Jesus to heal the servant. The healing is, like in the narrative, it's almost a bit like an afterthought. And this is the beautiful and incredible thing about Jesus. And his teaching is that it's not about your worth. It's not about your work. It's not about what you've done. Jesus demonstrated it's in the moment of humility and especially in the moment of faith. That's where grace is found. 
Because when we're humble enough to recognize our place before Jesus and place our faith in him, that is when we're showered with grace. It's where faith and grace, they collide. And the Lord Jesus, he throws his grace upon us and it is so abundant. No matter what kind of things we've done, uh, his grace is enough. In that case, it was, it was enough for that servant to be healed. For us, it is our sins forgiven. It could be all sorts of things uh, in our life where we experience the joy and the peace and the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus. But as we move back uh, into the narrative, Luke then changes scene. It's pretty soon afterwards, but he heads down uh, to an, another city, another town. Uh, and this is a story about a weeping widow. Now, Jesus had just been engaging with the rich and the powerful of society. They're kind of the upper echelon. He's now moved to the very opposite end of the spectrum. The powerless, the lowly, the poor. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus went down to the town called Nain. And his disciples and a loud crowd went along with him. And if we just stop at that point, I think there's something really interesting because there was a crowd following Jesus. There's often crowds following Jesus. But they're literally doing that. They're literally just following him. But Luke made a point that there is disciples and there is the crowd. I kind of said it another way. There is people that like, are submitting to the Jesus as Lord. Yes, you are my king. I'm following you. And there's people that are just investigating. People, what was this Jesus guy about? They're kind of caught up in the scene. They're interested in what um, it's all about. People who love Jesus and people who are investigating him. Because he's worth following. He's worth checking out. So can I please encourage you, if you're a person who is investigating, like you're wondering who this guy is, what Jesus is about, what the church is about, your friends are telling you about him, maybe you're remembering him from your childhood, please keep investigating. Keep following after him, looking what he's doing, see what he's talking about, the kingdom that he is forming, the power that he has. And please keep asking plenty of questions. Ask questions of the person next to you, the person you came with. Um, talk to God. Ask him your questions. Keep going as you uh, investigate and follow after him. And the scene that we follow Jesus into is a funeral. It's a funeral procession. It says, verse 12, As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And the large crowd was with her. Now, funerals 2,000 years ago, they're a bit different to what you may have experienced here at, uh, at Nawi or in, in suburban uh, Sydney. Uh, but the scene is here like a whole big crowd is going out of the town. Uh, they've got this person on like a wooden stretcher. He's probably covered with something, but he's open. So you can see the body. It's an open uh, coffin kind of thing. And Jesus um, approaches. But this is a scene um, that is so sad. It is so tragic because this is the funeral of a young man. A man of uh, a son uh, to a widow. The only son of this widow. The scene of of a parent having to bury their child is, is, is horrible. It is horrendous. Anyone, whether you're a parent or not, can appreciate the, the devastating aspect of that. But then what, if that's not devastating enough, this is a widow, 
Her husband has died, and this is her only son. In terms of grief and in terms of pain, in terms of horror, this is at a maximum kind of level. And when you're a widow in that society 2,000 years ago, you are completely dependent on your family, and especially completely dependent on your son. So with this woman who's lost her only son, she is now destitute. She is poor, she is powerless in her society. She needs him for her financial um, provision and protection. This person, this woman, is at the very opposite end to the centurion. And what's Jesus' response going to be? He is just really kind of passing by. He didn't get invited to this funeral. Uh, He probably doesn't know the person. No one is pleading with Jesus to come. No one is demonstrating some kind of act of faith here. The woman doesn't even approach Jesus. He goes to them. Now, we've seen the character of Jesus a lot throughout the book of Acts, so it's not a surprise when you read verse 13 that his heart goes out to her. Uh, He says, don't cry. Jesus has incredible compassion. Like an incredible compassion. And the first thing about compassion is that he is seeing. Jesus, he sees the pain. He sees the need. Uh, he's, in, he's aware of what's going around him and he engages. Now, it might seem kind of obvious that Jesus sees the need. Like there's a big funeral going on. I get it. Um, but I was reflecting on my own life and there's heaps of times where there's needs in front of me and I just like glaze my eyes over them. I'm not even aware of the needs that were in front of me and someone... Uh, talks to me about it later. I may be on a preoccupied with other thoughts, I'm on a mission to get somewhere, um, or whatever it may be, just stay in the confines of what I know is familiar and safe. I know for me it's very easy uh, to just get a bit insular or to not just have my eyes open constantly like the Lord Jesus does. But he did. And But more than seeing the need, Jesus' heart goes out. Like in, in the the way that it is written, it's kind of like his, his, the seed of his emotions is spilling out. His guts are pouring out. Luke is trying to paint his most vivid image as he can. The funeral has got nothing to do with him. He doesn't know the people, but his heart desperately goes out for this woman. She sees the physical, or he sees the physical, the mental, the emotional, the social pain of this woman. He doesn't turn a blind eye. But he's more than just sympathetic. And he doesn't just leave it there. He went up to her, verse 14, and he touched uh, the bier and they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The young man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus has incredible compassion. He sees, uh, he has empathy, but he, he responds in action. And that's what compassion is. It's seeing, it's having that empathy and then responding with action. You can't have compassion without those things. And Jesus goes, he touches, the, uh, touches that kind of stretcher thing and he speaks. And the power of Jesus, the incredible power of Jesus, it just bursts forth. Now some miracles of Jesus, uh, he, you know, he, he uses his hands or he like spits in some mud and puts it on people's eyes. Or sometimes he tells people to go into uh, other bodies of water to be healed. But when it comes to raising people to life, Jesus just uses his words. I say to you, young man, get up. 
the power of Jesus' word can bring life. Just like back in Genesis where the word of God is bringing life, Jesus here is bringing life. And just like the centurion said, just say the word, here we have Jesus just saying the word. Jesus uses his power, his incredible power he has for compassion in a compassionate way. He uses his power for the blessing of others and to reveal his divine identity. And this is who our Lord Jesus is. This is the type of king and savior that we follow. Just behold the compassion of Jesus here. Like this is a man of incredible, unmatched divine power. The authority to even speak a person back to life. Yeah, he acts with incredible compassion. Don't cry, woman. He goes up with just tenderness and just brings this person back to life. He looks on the helpless and needy with full compassion. And what I think is also really comforting about this story is that Jesus cares for the whole person. He cares for for all of us, all of our being. Like with that paralyzed man where Jesus forgives his sins but also also, um, healed his body. Here we have Jesus who deeply cares about the emotion, who deeply cares about the mental state of this woman, who deeply cares for, their, for her social state. He restores her mental distress, restores her social safety and provision. We can always know and lean on the compassion of Jesus. He doesn't just care about our eternal future. He certainly does. But he also cares about our immediate life too. And so it's unsurprising uh, that in this miracle, the people are filled with awe. When you have a look, verse 16, they're all filled with awe. They praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. And God has come to help his people. And this news spread about, spread about Jesus uh, throughout Judea and the surrounding country. These people are amazed. They're rightly praising God. They're seeing a divine kind of work at power here. And they start thinking that Jesus is a great prophet. They're still learning about who Jesus is. uh, And they're seeing him actually do greater things than what they know the prophets have done. Now, they probably don't realize it at this point. uh, But Luke is certainly helping us to know, and Jesus certainly knows, that he is fulfilling all things of the Old Testament. He is the Messiah, the King that is to come. And there's a couple things that are like particularly relevant uh, back in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, where Jesus is, is fulfilling. And one is in Elijah, uh, the, the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 17, another one, Elisha, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. And in both those cases, I won't read through them, but both those cases, there is a woman whose son has died. And Elijah and Elisha, in two separate scenes, they go to to the boy, um, and bring him back to life. But it's, it's a bit different because Elijah and Elisha have to plead with God. They have to call out to God. You have to save this person. And they like have to throw themselves literally on top of the dead body. Like they're like mouth to mouth, face to face, hand to hand on top of this person. They do it three times and the person comes back to life. That's not like Jesus though. Jesus just speaks. And these people come back. Jesus is fulfilling the, the pattern of the Old Testament. 
fulfilling all the prophecies. And people are starting to question, is this the person that is to come? So much so that the next passage, which we'll look at next week, John the Baptist sends his buddies and says, are you the person that is to come? Because these miracles and all the links to the, the Old Testament, they are pointing to that. And the news is beginning to spread. It's uncontainable. It's, it's wildfire. It's like that viral news. Because the news of Jesus is worth telling. There is hope in the message of Jesus. And what we keep seeing in the narrative of, the Luke, so, of Luke so far is that this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a kingdom with an incredibly powerful king who acts with deep compassion for others and brings life. Weeping is turned to joy. Miracles are bringing wholeness. Jesus brings the kingdom of God. We also remember, have to remember, it, it's here, but it's also not in full. And that is why we still see disease. So COVID, it ravages the world. Why there's still sickness and death. Miracles will not always happen now. Jesus was doing incredible miracles when he was here, and he still definitely can do miracles in this moment. We can have absolutely full faith in Jesus that he can do a miracle now. He just said the word when the, for the centurion uh, when the, he wasn't in the presence of the person. He can definitely heal. But we have to remember it's his word and his work and not ours. And his ways and his understanding are far beyond our own. But ultimately there will be a time where he will return again and the kingdom of God will come in full. And there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more uh, death. And we live in that in-between time. We live in the now, but the not yet. Jesus, he's brought the kingdom of God. He's showed us what it is like and what it means for us, for people who follow Jesus, for us who are called the citizens of the kingdom of God, people who are in God's family, what it looks to live and follow Jesus. And what we see is that this is what life is like in the kingdom of God. Firstly, we've seen in these stories, particularly in the centurion, is the importance of faith and having faith in the Lord Jesus. In the kingdom of God, when Jesus is Lord, you're having faith in him, submitting to him as your Lord. And we become beggars of grace, humble, dependent beggars of the Lord Jesus, who by faith call on him. And Jesus is all too willing all too willing to lavish his grace upon us. He doesn't withhold it. Later in the New Testament, uh, in, in Acts as well, the importance of faith is fleshed out in terms of salvation. And we read that access into the kingdom of God, uh, access into God's family is only through having faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Faith is key when it comes to being in the kingdom of God. But secondly, we see that life in the kingdom of God is all about compassion. We have a king who is compassionate. And if we are people who are disciples of him, who are following him, we are called to be compassionate too. And Jesus used his power and authority to act in ways that were compassionate. And we too use our power, whatever it may be, and our authority, whatever capacity that you have, to act with compassion. All of us have limits. Different limits, but we all have limits. But we are called to be like Jesus who lives uh, for the compassion of others, seeing their needs be met, 
whatever that looks like, uh, for people in our friendship circles, and especially for people who are not. And the beautiful thing about being compassionate is that it's an incredible way of sharing the gospel. Because when we act and see, uh, act out compassion, it's not just because it's some good moralistic thing to do. We're trying to point to the fact that our king did this. The savior of the world, he is the ultimate compassionate one. And I'm just pointing to him, I'm following him. This is what he would be doing if he were with us. And so that is what we're called to do as people who live in the kingdom of God, who are citizens of the kingdom of God, to be compassionate. And the third thing about life in the kingdom of God is about sharing the good news. Like we saw in both those passages at the very beginning and then at the end, the word of Jesus is going out. It's continuing to be spread. And for those of us who know about Jesus, who've heard him, who've read about him, who've seen his work, Part of our role is to continue to share that news, to talk about who this Jesus is, what he talks about, the kingdom of God that he is ushered in, the fact that he has tired, that he rose again in victory. In whatever spheres of influence we find ourselves, with our friends, at work, especially in the relationships that we have and are building with people, we are the people that share about the message of Jesus. We make him known. And wherever the opportunities arise, we are alerting people to the rule and reign of Jesus, showing his compassion and the life that can be had in him because he did die and he rose again in victory. Now, not everyone is going to come to faith. And that is, that is sad and it breaks our heart. But it doesn't stop us. We keep sharing in our own ways the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. And we see where God takes it. So friends, that's what these stories uh, and wonderful aspects uh, are about. We see who Jesus is and we see what the kingdom of God is like. We have a Lord who has complete power and authority. And we see that life in the kingdom of God is about having faith in Jesus having compassion like Jesus, and then continuing to share about Jesus. Let me pray. Our good and gracious God, thank you so much for sending the Lord Jesus. He was an incredible man. He still is an incredible man. And he also is the Son of God. We thank you so much that his, his life was recorded for us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, that we can now know Jesus as Lord. Father, I pray for us as we continue to investigate Jesus, whatever aspect of the journey we're on. We'll continue to know him more and more, to grow into his likeness, uh, to come into your family if we're not there yet. And Father, we pray that your kingdom comes, that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Please help us as your people uh, to be your hands and your feet, empowered by your spirit in this world until you come again. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.